Please take a seat and it'd be great if you want to open your Bibles back to Luke chapter 7. And I want to ask you, who do you think is impressive? Who do you think is impressive? I want you to think of someone in your minds, someone who is very impressive, someone who makes you think, wow. And I want you to do this very difficult, to get even tougher for you. I want you to think of someone who's not me. Okay? okay someone who's, who is very impressive, someone who makes you go, wow. And if you're, one of, if you're a kid, I've given you this little sheet. I'd like you, can you draw a picture of someone? Who makes you go, wow, who's impressive? Okay, you've already, you've already started. Think about what, what is that person like? And try and think of a real person if you can, not just kind of like a Captain America kind of a character. What is that person like who makes you go, wow, what is it about them that you find impressive? Is it their achievements, what they've done? Is it their just talent and skill at something or lots of things? Is it the way they, they relate? Is it their character under pressure, how they've been able to respond when it's difficult? Who is someone who's impressive? Uh, I think of a person, a person comes to mind who's impressive to me, who is just, just naturally understands everything. It's that, that kind of guy who, well, he fits that category as well, but he wasn't the one I was thinking about. Uh, he's this guy who just, he's just able to grasp everything, everything that you want to explain. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Or actually, you, or usually already knows it before you can explain it to him. He just so quickly, and he has such a broad amount of knowledge to draw on. And it's just detailed as well in lots of specific areas. He's written a couple of books. He's, he's got some like, particular knowledge and expertise. And he's a fantastic musician. And he's a sports person. And he can, he's like the kind of guy that can tick every box. And I find like every, every part of life I turn to, he's going, yeah, he's in good shape. He's healthy. He's, he's uh, just so easy in, in relating to people. It just comes naturally. And sometimes I feel like I'm awkward and next to him. And he's just like so comfortable. And Anyway, who is it that impresses you? What are they like? One thing that I notice when we think about people that are impressive and the things they do, often it, it's, it's not just the kind of big external things, is it? It is those internal qualities. It's that character the strong, the faithful, the person of integrity. And often we see that working out in the achievements, don't we? The person that's impressive, they often have skills and abilities that leads to things because of their character and the way that they've been able to apply themselves in different situations. It's the person who's able to practice their musical instrument for years and years and years to achieve technical expertise. It's the person who's been able to get up at 4.30 a.m. to be able to train for the marathon that keeps them in shape, gets them fit and allows them to succeed in those ways. It's the person who's spent hours and hours diligently researching 
that enables them to have such breadth of knowledge and the depth of knowledge to be able to write a book. The, the external achievements that we go, wow, often, are, often come out of internal qualities, don't they? And that's what, sometimes I think about this. When I'm impressed by someone and I can see that it's come from inside, it, it kind of leads me to this, this rationale, this way of thinking. They've achieved these things and they're good things and I see that they deserve it. Do you think like that too? Can you see how there's a connection between the effort and the work and sometimes it leads to accomplishment and it leads to impressive? Sometimes we see that people deserve good things. Sometimes reflecting on this, I think about myself, well, I'm not as impressive as, as he is. And then it makes me feel, well, maybe I don't deserve it as much. Question that I ask about my own worth and value. Well, as, as today we continue in Luke's Gospel, we're up to chapter 7. We did skip over a little bit. It's coming in a couple of weeks uh, when our CMS partner is able to join us. Uh, sorry, I didn't explain that at the start. You might have been surprised not to see them here. Uh, uh, one of our CMS missionaries' children has COVID, so they weren't uh, able to attend. But they will be coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, well, we're turning to chapter 7 of Luke, and we're continuing our investigation, getting to grips with Jesus, seeing who is this Jesus really as he interacts with people, as they encounter him many for the first time, and as they are really confronted with this, this person. They're not used to hearing about in the same way we are. What is it that strikes them? And today we meet a man, a centurion, and we see he's an impressive guy. He's an impressive guy and he has a sick servant and he wants him healed and eventually he comes to Jesus as the solution and Jesus heals him. It's a nice story. But what we see as we look a bit deeper is we see what is so impressive, not just through human eyes, but what's impressive through God's eyes, through Jesus' eyes. We're going to do it in three steps. First of all, an impressive man. Uh, second, an undeserving man. And third, amazing Jesus. That's where we're going. Step one, an impressive man. And in Luke chapter 7, we see... Jesus has been teaching, he finishes, he goes into the town of Capernaum and there is this centurion. Centurions were kind of, it's a Roman soldier who had authority over uh, 100 soldiers underneath them. That's the centurion word, that's what it means. I don't think it always exactly worked out that way. But uh, that's, the, that's the kind of idea you get. He's someone who has authority in the army. And notice he's a Roman. He's not a Jew. He would have been there on assignment as an outsider. Uh, most, most of the Romans weren't welcomed in to Israel. They weren't treated as honoured guests. They were there. Well, they were begrudged being there, weren't they? 
The Jews didn't like the Romans ruling over them. They didn't have a great fondness for them being there. They weren't always treated with, well, with warmth. But here we see a centurion who has this highly valued servant who's sick and about to die. And we hear, we see that he hears of Jesus. But then we get told a bit about this centurion, what he's like. Did you notice as we read it before? Have a look at verse, at verse 4. These people get sent from the centurion, some of the elders. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. See, this man, who should be one who is kind of treated with kind of quiet contempt, contempt and coldness as someone who's there without them approving, he's actually quite respected amongst the Jews. They have a high regard of him. They're impressed by him. He's not here as the kind of evil overlord or representative of Caesar. He's, he's here and he's someone that loves us. He cares about our nation. He has built our synagogue. He's invested in us, in our religion. He's concerned with us. And we see he has compassion for his servant. He seems like a really good guy, doesn't he? And their theory, their understanding is, because he's like this, because he has done these good things, he's loved our nation, he's built our temple, he's this good guy, he, he deserves to have his servant healed, Jesus. That's their logic, isn't it? Good guy deserves for good things to happen to him, deserves Jesus' help. And so often that's the thinking that I fall into as well. People that are good deserve good things to happen to them. It's so easy just to fall into that mindset. Well, this is how the, the Jews are speaking about him, the elders. But how does this man feel about himself? This is not his word proclaiming it. Well, we, we get a bit of an insight into it in the next couple of verses. And what we see is he actually thinks of himself as undeserving. Have a look. Uh, verse, halfway through verse 6. Jesus was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. The centurion, despite having done these things, despite being an empathetic and, and compassionate man who cares about his servant, despite being someone who has invested in the building of the synagogue, who has loved this nation and got a good reputation, despite those things... He doesn't consider himself worthy. He recognises in Jesus something surpassing, something that's beyond him in his position of goodness and authority. 
as a centurion. Something so, so far above him that he's not worthy of that visit. He's not worthy to come into Jesus' presence. And we don't get a clear picture here of exactly how much the centurion understands. Is he talking, does he have a concept of sin here? Does he understand that Jesus is the Son of God? Is that what's going on? Well, we don't get that clear picture. Does he just understand from the reports that Jesus does miracles and that puts him in a whole nother league? Maybe it's a Jew-Gentile thing, that he's not one of the Jewish people and so he doesn't want to cause any offence by having the Jewish leader, the healer, come into his house because there was often rules against that kind of thing and, and the standards of society didn't always allow for that. Whatever it is, he sees himself as undeserving. The same logic that the, the Jews seem to be working from, he, it's not flowing out quite as simply with him. He has a humility. But despite this, despite being unworthy in his own eyes, he still, he still hopes and asks for Jesus' help. And he knows it's possible and he has a great confidence, doesn't he, in what Jesus can do. He says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. He knows how authority works, and he understands that Jesus is in authority over the sickness that his servant is experiencing. He understands that Jesus has the power to heal, even from a distance. And so he entrusts himself to Jesus, even considering himself unworthy. He entrusts himself to Jesus' compassion and his willingness to heal. He trusts himself to that power. Considered impressive by the Jews, but himself recognizing unworthiness. What's the outcome? Well, we see that Jesus is amazed, isn't he? Jesus is impressed with this guy. It's not with his, it's not with his uh, synagogue building. It's not with his love for the Jews. It's not even with his compassionate attitude towards his servant. What's he impressed by? His faith. Have a look. Those last couple of verses, verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. And Jesus is blown away by this centurion. Not by his kind of external goodness and accomplishments by the things that look impressive, but Jesus is impressed 
By his faith. By his trust. By his willingness to even admitting his own unworthiness. To still reach out the hand and be willing to receive from Jesus. Recognizing that Jesus is able to do it. Not only does he have great faith, but he says it's, it's an example that goes beyond anything we've seen among the Jews, among those who should know best. And he holds this man up. He's amazed. It's easy for us, isn't it, to fall into the world's logic, the logic of religion. It says if we are good enough, if I work hard enough, if I clean up my act enough, if I donate enough money to charity, if I come to church enough times and volunteer at teaching kids' church enough times, if I mow the lawn enough times, Then, then I'll deserve God's kindness. It's, it's so easy to fall into that trap. It's so easy when things aren't going your way just to have that little reflexive thought, maybe it's because I am doing this wrong. Maybe it's because I haven't worked through this area yet God's still holding off from being kind to me because fill in the blank I don't know about you but it's so easy for me to think like that and I need to hear this story and I need to remind myself again and again of the Wonderful reality of God's grace. That Jesus comes to bless us and to give to us, not because we are deserving, but despite the fact that we are undeserving. Now, he, he heals this man's servant here in a small foreshadowing of what he's going to do later, isn't it? Here he brings physical healing but later he's going to die and he's going to pay the penalty for sin that will bring spiritual healing. That will save us from eternal death. Not because we deserve it, because we don't. Not because we can earn it, because we can't. but because he gives it freely and he wants us to trust him, to receive it in faith, just like this century. As impressive as all the people in our lives are, the people on TV, the people that we encounter, people with skills and talents and accomplishments, things we'd like to be like, as, as 
impressive as they all are, next to Jesus, I mean, he is impressive on a whole other level, isn't he? The one who has authority over sickness, the one who can heal, save from death, but not just that, the one who is so generous as to give freely what we do not deserve and could not earn. Friends at St. Stephen's, we are seeking to be one gospel family, aren't we? One gospel family that's overflowing with joy in Jesus. You know, what, what about that looks impressive? Not much. Listen, if we're doing this, if we're being one gospel family overflowing with joy in Jesus, it's not saying that we're the biggest church in the Southern Hemisphere, is it? It's not saying that there's going to be 11 million people tuning into our live stream to see what's going on here because they want to be part of it. It's not impressive in the world scheme. It's not saying that we're going to have the biggest budget to do a multi-million dollar light show spectacular. No, it's not. Uh, our vision isn't about being the most impressive church, but it's about being the people who are changed by Jesus. We are that gospel family, the people who by faith recognize our own unworthiness and trust in him and his gift. The gift that brings us joy. Friends, I want to encourage you to follow the example of this century. To trust in Jesus. To recognize your own unworthiness, despite however many great things you've accomplished, how many churches you've built, how many people you've loved, how many other people would vouch for you Say you're a top person. Because at the end of the day, those things don't add up. What does Jesus want to see? He wants to see our faith. He gives freely. This is what our God is like. Let me finish with the words that Jesus himself spoke uh, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He said, he was teaching about what God is like. He said, which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him. Let me pray. Our great God, we thank you that you are so generous towards us in Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to impress you, but you give us what we need by grace. Now please help us 
not to fall into the trap of thinking about earning your your favour. Please help us to keep responding to you again and again as undeserving people, trusting by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.